Dean here in North Carolina. And Roger in Los Angeles. Welcome to Hack a Week Coast to Coast episode Lucky 7. Ah, Lucky 7. Cool. Yeah. So um, for all you viewers out there, Roger is our guest today. This is Roger Chang. Um, he's a friend of mine. He's, he's local here to where I live. And um, I met him through our local hacker meetup. You might know him if uh, you're around Twitter at all. You might know him, or if you went to Maker Fair, you might know him as the creator of Soppy. It's an open source um, Mars rover project, mostly 3D printable. And there you go. You can see Soppy on the screen. Um, Roger, we don't have to focus entirely on Soppy, but maybe you want to like, give us like a one-minute spiel about Soppy. <laughs> uh, the one-minute spiel, Soppy is a rover for hobbyists. It was designed to replicate all the physical uh, kinematics of the real rover Curiosity, mostly 3D printed, and all the design is online at soppy.com. That's right. That's awesome. And you designed this kind of to be on a budget, right? Because um, yeah. we have both the uh, JPL open source rover, and you wanted something that would be a little more budget friendly for people that didn't have quite as much money. So what is the budget for a soppy <laughs> rover? The budget for the parts cost for a soppy is $500. And uh, then the maker who wants to download the plans and put it together supplies all the labor. Okay. And so they have to have uh, a 3D printer. Do they have to have any other specialized fabrication equipment? Uh, you will need your own soldering iron to build the wiring harness for soppy because the wires that come with the servos used in soppy are designed for, you know, Humanoid robots about a foot high that walk and dance around. And so their wire harnessing, wire harnesses are only about uh, four to six inches long. And Soppy is a lot larger. So the most significant work beyond 3D printing is building the wire harness. Okay. And um, I think sometimes people are a little intimidated by 3D printing, like unless they're printing like a little figurine or something. And... 3D printing can sometimes, like there are some prints that are more difficult than others. Um, is there anything difficult about printing soppy parts? I, um, I designed soppy to be as easy to print as I could. Um, if you know 3D printing, you know some designs need support material for the esoteric shapes. And I designed every part on soppy to not need support material. You have to get pretty creative sometimes to get things to sit on the print bed correctly. Uh, but you only support merit, and they're very straightforward to print. The most complicated part is the wheel, and soppy wheel will be a good starting point. If you can print the soppy wheel, you can print the rest of soppy. Well, it looks like the spokes are on the print bed, right? Correct. Uh, for no, this for the wheel, you will nice. print it this way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. It's an awesome project. Um, Rightly, it got a ton of attention at Maker Faire, and I think people people generally love Soppy, and they should because Soppy is great. Well, the cool thing is too, you're building something that is, you know, uh, a duplicate of rover that's on Mars. So, I mean, how cool is that? It's pretty much fashioned right after that, and a very um, able rover, I might add too, with the rocker bogey suspension. I saw your video of it climbing over a backpack, and it did it with a plum, no problem at all. <laughs> no problem at all. Yeah. So um, the rocker bogey suspension was very fascinating to me. That's the, one of the best parts of building Soppy is that it's something that you can read about on paper 
and you can even see diagrams, but it won't really click until you see it in motion, in action, climbing over obstacles. And have, having built Sapi, being able to demonstrate this myself and uh, have it see YouTube clips uploaded by Sapi builders around the world. It, it's, it's great to see people driving their own Sapi in different environments and see the little rover just barreling along, having fun. That's, that's what I, I would like to build one someday. And I, I definitely want to take it out in the wild and get it in some crazy environments and see how it does. Yeah, yeah. it'd be fun. The, um, the rocker bogey suspension, like you said, until you see it in person, it doesn't really click like just how dynamic it is. You know, it, you're used to like, a lot of people are used to car suspensions in like one wheel, a lot, most car suspensions, like one wheel hits a bump and the wheel goes up and it goes back down. But like with rocker bogey, you lift one wheel and like the entire suspension like kind of springs into action. Like the whole thing moves together and it's almost organic in a way. And it's really cool to see that work. And um, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's just, it's not like any other suspension you see on any other vehicles really. And it's, it's just a neat mechanism. Um, I, I can't recall like who the inventor of it was. I, I don't know that JPL necessarily invented it. I think it was an older technology that they like repurposed, but I, if you know anything about that, Roger, like chime in. Um, but I think it was some kind of older technology that they repurposed um, for the Mars Rover. The really neat thing I found about it um, with a small prototype I built once that was just really kind of a mashed together thing that um, I threw together out of some uh, junk parts from a baby carriage actually <laughs> and PVC pipe. And the neat thing I noticed that is one wheel on a corner can go up. Let's just say that it's a factor of 100 that it rises. The really cool part is that the main chassis, the mass of it all only rises up like maybe 10% because the the whole suspension is independent of the body. So when it climbs over something, it's not trying to lift everything that's all of this mass of the main body up the same height. The wheel can go up independently and everything just kind of tilts to one side. So really, yeah. really neat design, very elegant. Yeah. And the best part about building your own soppy 3D printing is that you're much less um, scared to try it on dangerous terrain right if something breaks you know exactly how to fix it you exactly. can placement parts cool that's really the great thing about um in general about hacking and making is that like when you take things apart and you get to understand how they work they're not so intimidating and like you're willing to try more things and you're willing to be more daring because you know how things work and if you know how they work you know how to fix them especially if you broke them and then you fix them again yourself right definitely yeah. So uh, I think we're not going to just talk about Sapi only because Roger does a lot of other things. So maybe I think Dean, you had a few questions you wanted to ask to Roger. Yeah. Uh, just to get to know him a little bit better. Sure. I mean, we, we met at Maker Fair. We got to hang out a bit. It was, it was fun. Um, I, I find you to be a, a very uh, precision person <laughs> in everything you do, <laughs> you know, and watching you do things and, and working on the Sapi. Uh, when you had to do the uh, repair, you and Emily, I helped a little bit. And um, you're just very straightforward with your approach to problem solving. I noticed that right away. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a person who just goes, okay, I've got a task at hand. Let's move forward and get it done. And I'd, I'd kind of like to find out a little bit of where that came from in you. And, you know, every maker's got maybe a story of when they were, you know, a little kid 
when was it you first started to take things apart and realize that that was something you enjoyed or putting things together for that matter? Uh, uh, those, they did not come at the same time. I, I always was, was curious about how things worked inside the container, inside the case for as long as I can remember. And my earliest memory along that front was uh, a, a wound up uh, alarm clock that I had uh, in my room. And I asked mom if I can take it apart. And she's like, no, no, we need that. But it, grandma might have some old ones. Like we used to have them all around the house. And there's probably a broken one you can take apart. So she went up into the attic, did find this entire box of uh, um, wind up clocks and every single one of them ran when she wound it up. So it's like, well, well you can't take that one apart. This one runs. Oh, you can't take that one apart. This one runs. Knowing uh, uh, now things I didn't know then, I bet that they were running, but they were not keeping time. And that's why they're in the box up in there. <laughs> but in the uh, mom's mentality, it's like, I, I can't let little Roger uh, go loose on uh, him loose on this. Uh, so it took a while before I was able to get to something where I could take apart. It was very educational, but the, uh, I do remember very clearly there was a several year gap between the first thing I took apart, looked inside and see what it does, and several years passed before I can put one of these things back together. That, that was an entirely different process, and it was also very educational on its own. Right. <laughs> but... Uh, just to keep me away from taking apart things in the house uh, at inopportune times. Uh, uh, I got to play with uh, Lego construction sets so I can put it together and take it apart as much as I want. So my mom will not, you know, come home one day and see the alarm clocks strewn across the living room. <laughs> Legos. Legos seem to be a common theme in uh, a lot of people that are creative and makers and builders and uh, do-it-yourselfers. I had... I didn't have Legos. I had the other, there was another brand that was like these little bricks. And then there was Lincoln logs that were these wood things you could build houses out of. And I had, you know, that stuff. And of course I had cardboard boxes and my mom's kitchen knives. So. <laughs> uh. that, that was a thing when uh, the family budget got tight. Legos are fun, but they're Lego, they're expensive. Mm. Uh, when the family budget got tight, I was the greatest slash promoted to be, all right, Roger, if you, if you can dream up these things, if you can build your own toys out of cardboard, glue, and tape, uh, you can have as much cardboard as you're actually using. And that uh, set my brain up into dreaming up a shape and then what the components are for that shape. Unroll it, lay it down, lay it out flat, cut it out, and then put it back together again. Uh, this actually turned out to be super useful when I started getting into CAD because that kind of three-dimensional mental math is required. And I am actually hoping to get that part of my brain back up and running with sheet metal fabrication. This is something I have talked about multiple times, uh, and it's, it's on our to-do list. Uh, but to, uh, before we get too far away from Lego, I did want to say that I really love my Lego all the way up through being an adult until I got into 3D printing, where I can design not, not just you know, what the Lego individual units are, but can actually design and print my own shapes. Uh, so one of my first 3D printing projects was a custom Lego organization trade 
size precisely to the Legos I had in my bin. And I had this very meticulously organized uh, uh, um, um, chest, now wooden chest of uh, Lego parts, which I have not touched since. Uh, 3D printing has completely taken over my physical building create and, and creation. And the only time the Lego box is open now is when my uh, good friends, uh, little ones aged like seven through 10 come over and they just tear into it. So it is no longer organized. <laughs> That's perfect. Good use for a 3D printer. Yeah, definitely. So Roger, you haven't always, like your career path has not always been like say hacker maker focus. Like, can you take us through a little bit of your career trajectory and how you ended up um, doing what you're doing now? Okay, so yes, that's an interesting uh, story, yes. So with, with all this mindset growing up, by the time it came to choose a college major, I was looking at basically everything the uh, UCLA School of Engineering had to offer, and they all sounded interesting. Um, and then it became to, all right, these are all interesting. Where do I want to go from with this? I, I started looking at what they might be uh, career-wise, and at the at time I was entering college, I loved aerospace, I love airplanes, I love um, everything about making a big machine fly in the sky. But that was around the time when the Southern California aerospace industry was imploding on itself because Cold War was, was over and uh, we don't need all these aerospace equipment anymore and aerospace engineers were out of jobs and unable to find new ones. So that was very discouraging for a high school graduate looking for a career. And I started looking at other uh, fields of engineering. Uh, nuclear engineering was another one that was, is there a career in here? I am not so sure. But as I went through all the fields of engineering, what came up in common is that no matter which field of engineering you're in, you're going to need a computer. And that's what I ended up going with. I studied computer science because no matter which field of engineering I want to uh, end, I might end up in, uh, computers, computer logic, and coding will be useful. And that's where I went, and I followed that for throughout, throughout UCLA. I got a job for software development, uh, moved out of town for, for it, and I did that as a career for 16 years, uh, doing the underlying coding plumbing work in a software company. But lost touch with the physical building crafting making side of what I love to do. And that became uh, a more and more of a problem as things went on. So I started uh, trying to tackle projects and, and, and build things like the thing that you guys have talked about in previous shows, but it just wasn't getting the time and uh, I needed to actually make progress as much as I want. And I eventually decided, all right, um, this is, this is working, but, I started the college career thing. This software is going to be a part of what I can do and I think I can take it elsewhere and I should. So I quit the software career and I started uh, learning about 3D printing, CAD fabrication. Um, basically, this is my full-time job to teach myself enough to either uh, um, get into a, a, a career in this um, or start my own business and the thing I said about software, that is useful. So there are projects that Emily, the kind of projects we take, undertake, 
um, I learned from you on physical fabrication and how not to uh, uh, electrocute myself on a CRT. And then there are parts where I can contribute, namely the software programming and logic. And together we make things like, like your death clock. So I love where this uh, direction is going, where I love that now I can tackle projects like Sopi. I learned the mechanical fabrication and the software side of uh, Sopi. I'd be like, yes, I already know how to do that. I have my software background. And so I can get them to merge together and uh, you know, the whole powers combined thing. So there, there's obviously some, some direct benefits of knowing computer programming and software design in making because you can, you can write code for things. But is there anything you learn, and I don't know how to describe this in any other way, like the philosophy of software engineering or like any, any ways of thinking that you learned in school in learning computer science, is there anything you learn from that that's more of like sort of the approach that applies itself to making? Um, I think that uh, the best answer for that actually links back to what Dean said about my approach to problem solving is, is that the, the a mind of a computer is very precise. So you can almost break everything down to if, then, if, then, if, then. And, um, and the computers in the software, it's very unforgiving. It is What I've learned is that when you're looking at a computer and it's doing something weird and you don't expect, you don't know what's going on, what I've learned is that it is always doing exactly, precisely what you told it to do. This has no resemblance to what you meant to tell it to do. Uh, and so that, that is definitely the mentality. All right, here's a problem. I'm going to break it down into these precise steps and we are going to tackle them one at a time until we get to the end. And, and sometimes that served me well, and sometimes that has tripped me up in some of the projects we've collaborated on, where I was, I, I, was, I would be, um, um, the bias voltage on our fil VFD filament. Uh, my brain, for some reason, could not understand that concept, and uh, I'm still working on it. I think I'm getting close enough, but those would be the kind of thing where this structure brain, it gets a, um, you know, it gets a wrench in the works. It's like, if then, if then, and then if bias voltage, then back up. If bias voltage, then what? So it has its upsides, it has its downsides. And that's why it's great to have collaborators and different brains, uh, uh, people with different backgrounds come in and uh, contribute their individual skills to a project. Yeah. Well, so for what it's worth, my, my unstructured brain does not quite understand bias voltage either. And uh, we talked to TubeTime. Um, he's, he's on Twitter as TubeTime. We talked to him a little bit at Maker Fair, asking him, like, or interrogating him, like, what the hell is bias voltage and how does this work? And he explained it to us. And, like, I, I kind of half got it, but I still didn't get it. And it's just one of those things that, like, there's just some analog electronics that are just they're voodoo and I don't quite get them still. And I, I feel like bias voltage is one of those things. It's like, it's almost there, but I, my brain just can't, can't wrap 100% of the way around it. I've always kind of seen it as like, it's like a car engine because you know, I'm a mechanic, right? That's my main forte is working on cars and problem solving cars. And when I first learned about bias voltage, to me, it was kind of like the throttle on an engine. 
and it's like it, you have to have you have to have the thing running a little bit and the bias voltage is kind of what does that it kind of sets up the stage for it to be able to receive a signal and then do a thing with it and and depending on where you put that voltage is how sensitive it is to doing that thing that's going to happen in between and the thing you were talking about the if then and then the bias voltage well you're, you're discovering the fuzzy gray areas of analog electronics so you see computers don't know gray they know black they know white they know one they know zero there's not one and a half <laughs> right so that's the see that's the thing for me it was the reverse when i first started working with a little bit of coding and stuff is that i learned i had to learn to be very precise with things and you there is not a gray kind of area you can write that in i suppose but it's still a series of steps of like you said a lot of if thens and uh, that's the way I approach all my problem solving on the cars is just what you were talking about in a very methodical approach of if it's not this, then it must be this. And if it's not this, then it must be this. So when you're trying to find out something wrong, you just keep moving through that process until eventually you do find the problem. But even more importantly uh, um, is that Emily can say, I understand enough about bias voltage to make the VFD light up. I don't have to understand all of it to get the project done. And my brain has a problem with that. It's like this little itch, like, no, I want to understand yes. <laughs> what it does. And, and, and it'll be, I can't remember exactly the details, but we have a conversation about this, Emily and I. I'll be asking this question, and, and she basically summed up with, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and that, is the, that is the kind of mentality I need to be able to put things in a box that does not have to be fully understood now, but that's, don't get hung up on it and keep going to the, uh, to the finish line so we can have something at the end instead of just banging our heads against the brick wall. It, that is not, banging our heads against a brick wall that's not even actually in our way, that is not a protective design. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. You know, I got to say, th that's something that has always appealed to me about um, analog electronics. Like, you need, to ha you need to know enough to make them work. But, like, as frustrating as it is when they don't work, like, they have almost, like, some personality to them, right? Like, it's like, like my cat. Like, I basically know how the cat's going to behave at any given time. But sometimes the cat doesn't behave that way. And it's like... Well, I don't know why. That's just what the cat's doing right now. And that's the same thing with some of my analog electronics projects. It's like, oh, like the Lisa jukebox. It's working today. Tomorrow, it's not working. Like, I don't know why. It's just not doing what it's supposed to do. And like, I don't know. It's just, it'll, it'll work when it works again, right? Like, that, there's something kind of fun about that in a way. It, it, as obviously, that doesn't work for production. doesn't work for, like, consumer goods. But when you're just making weird crap to keep in your house like it's totally fine to have something that has some weird misbehaviors and that's just kind of fun with analog stuff i think it's the ghost in the machine you know bob pease was all about that um you know with the you know there's that famous thing where he tossed the computer off the roof of fairchild electronics that was simulating an analog circuit and you know i've always been along those same lines too there's so many hack a week videos i've done and i show the circuit and i build the thing and then people simulate it in was it spice i haven't used too many but i remember people mentioning spice i think is a simulation program and um 
they would come back with a comment on YouTube. I simulated this in space and it doesn't work. So there's some, it must be wrong. Even though I made the thing on the bench <laughs> and there it is and it works and they put it in their simulator. Oh, there's something wrong. It doesn't work. It's like, that's because it's a simulation. It's all, again, it's ones and zeros with no gray area. And, uh, you know, Bob Pease, if you look up some of his experimentation he did, he would be building things on a bench with all of the parts just kind of floating in air and he would be soldering pieces together and he could just do that on the fly. And it would just be this wad of transistors and capacitors and resistors that he would be experimenting as he built the, built the, the thing because in his mind and with his math and electronic theory, he knew that, well, okay, Ohm's law says I have to put a 330 ohm resistor right here. And so he would solder it in and he'd do his test with the oscilloscope. And it was amazing the stuff that man did. All right. How are we doing on time, Dean? How are we looking here? Um, we're at about 15, 15 minutes left. Okay. Um, did you have any other questions specifically for Roger? Um, well, you know, the the first, what was the first really awesome job you had that you were super excited about of, you know, the kind where you were just like, you couldn't wait to get to work in the morning because it was just such a cool thing that you were doing. Well, my software job out of college was like that. Um, I, I, <laughs> it, it was, uh, um, yeah, I just come and say, yeah, I, I moved up to Redmond to work for Microsoft and it from somebody who was just tinkering with software projects for a single person. Uh, it was a tremendous uh, uh, draw to say, you are now working on projects that will affect hundreds of millions of people. Wow. And, and that, that, that was very inspiring for a young kid just graduating college. Um, it, it, and it also very quickly um, learned the upsides and downsides of this because if I make a mistake that affects 1% of the users, that's 2 million people. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is a huge responsibility. So, so uh, uh, it, it was a lot of um, very eye-opening on how, what it takes to run a large software project and, and be very, being precise and meticulous to make sure you cover all your bases. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, a tremendous period of my life that would not give up for anything else. But it did lack the uh, physical uh, aspect. Now, since the time I left Microsoft, Microsoft's gotten into more hardware. Uh, they actually had some presence at Maker Fair to appeal to the Maker audience. And uh, I, I look at that and there's a part of me that's like, hmm, wish I transferred into that division instead of just quitting. But I also do, uh, I am appreciative of what I have learned and gained since quitting and um, building my own things. Like Sapi, I would not have been able to build Sapi under that umbrella. So, right. so I wouldn't want to give up Sapi for that. No. And then uh, I guess you, you just alluded to this a little bit, but um, what kind of things now inspire you to, you know, maybe want to get at the workbench and make a project? I mean, like maybe particular people or, you know, just technology in general. What inspires uh, you to, to do things? And, and what is inspiring now is that the realization that with these kind of resources, and that that's available now to the maker audience. These are not things that I could have had when I was, uh, when I had graduated from college. Like I didn't have 3D printing. Um, CAD was a multi thousand dollar proposition, a CAD workstation, even more so. 
uh, didn't have computing power like a Raspberry Pi or ESP32. So what uh, is inspiring now versus then? Is back then I, I believe that you need a large organization and a large infrastructure to do anything worthwhile and everything was just deployed. Now it's, it's, it's so much more democratized now that a one person who not only has an idea but can has the focus and the methodology to execute on the idea. One person can one person can do interesting things. A small team can do interesting things, and that I find very inspiring and, and motivating. That's cool. Incidentally, um, everybody, I just had a little pop up from Zoom that said that the forty minute lift uh, um, limit on our meeting has been lifted. So. Yay for us. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm not going to question that. So we've actually got uh, like another, another, I don't know, 20, 20 minutes at least of time here. So. Awesome. Um, Can I bring up a few things uh, from your previous episodes? Sure. By all means. Okay. So I, Emily talked about layer one. Yeah. And uh, um, I did want to show people the layer one batch. So this Whoa. This is the, uh, yeah, this is model after the, what's the name of the machine, Emily? Oh God, uh, the Voigt, Voigt Comp. I think it's the Voigt Comp machine. Yeah, okay, that one. So, so the top of that machine is this device that stares at the replicants are looking for their eye response. Oh yeah, that's, that's where I recognize that from. It looked familiar, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, and when you turn it on, it has a whole bunch of, uh, that's a big, <sighs> The light show. Wow. Well, you know, this is the one staring at the replicant, and we have the layer one logo over in the corner. Uh, um, I did a quick write-up over this badge. It's a lot of fun. And um, the, the optional add-on is a camera module that you attach to the side that uh, uh, then will actually look for a eye in its field of view and project it onto a console. So it's like you have the whole uh, Blade Runner machine. <laughs> That's really cool. And then do you have the series of questions that you would ask the uh, <laughs> the person to find out if they're a replicant or not? That was not included. And fortunately, <laughs> the replicant is also, there's no, also no uh, armed replicant to shoot you if you start getting uh, close to the answer. Uh, and I'd also want to bring up uh, um, Supercon, which uh, you talked about briefly. And I did want to add to what you said is that if, if you submit a talk, uh, submit a proposal that is accepted as a presenter, then presenters get in uh, for free. Hmm. You're offering. <laughs> and even if your presentation is uh, uh, not selected, as long as it's a well thought of presentation, uh, you, you get a 50% uh, discount code for putting together the effort to go and present. Uh, so even if you're not selected, there's an invitation for people to come and, and join this uh, festivities. And I saw today that the uh, that the early bird tickets sold out already. So it looks like there's going to be a lot of interest because I mean there's there's other tickets you can still you can still get your tickets, but the uh, the first run of tickets sold out like pretty quick. So it looks like it's going to be a good year for Supercon. I'm excited. Yeah, it's like we're talking five months in advance, and it's already selling out on the early bird stuff. That's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. Yep. And I have a uh, audio assault on the audience here from the. Last year's super conference badge, and and wow. like Emily said, it's a tiny little computer on the circuit board with a keyboard and a mouse, and it's driven off a battery. Now the 
theme of this badge for the conference was ritual computing. So just uh, text adventures, Zorg, text uh, applications on there, which is what appro appropriate for the Apple One era. And I looked at this badge and said, you know, so there's some capabilities of this badge that is not leveraged as much as it should be. So I wrote a demo program with the Nyan Cat and complete with the little Nyan Cat song that I just played 15 seconds off here. <laughs> All right, that's enough Nyan Cat. You can be quiet now. That little cat has been like turned into so many digitized things over the years. <laughs> I love it. It is so silly. It is so ridiculous. And it is so simple. I, I can try putting it on anything. Uh, we, we, we even went as far as putting it on our VFD project earlier, just for the fun of it. It's a very stylized Nyan cat. Um, <laughs> you could see it if, if, if Roger pointed it out to you. It had the little head, the little eyes moving, the little stars going by. But it's, you know, you're talking about seven segment displays, like four of them. So it, it was it was very, very, very loosely a Neon Cat, but it was great. <laughs> extremely, you know, uh, call it as a Neon Cat. <laughs> you just call it an extremely stylized. That's what we used to call it in the 80s in the graphics business. No, it's very stylized. <laughs> stylized, yes, exactly. Yeah. But <clears throat> Should we go through to cover one of our typical things? Like what are, what are we working on this week? Sure. All right, cool. Um, well, I could start since we're in the um, the topic of like audio assaults um, on Monday um, in in advance of our weekly hacker meetup. I stopped at the thrift store as I typically do, and I found this thing. And this is a voice changing <laughs> megaphone toy that I found, and um, it was it was three dollars packaged with another toy, and so I picked it up and I brought it to the group, and um, it didn't work, but that was because, like, this thing doesn't have a proper switch in it. It has this trigger right here, right? And the trigger just pushes on two metal contacts, and, like, one of the metal contacts just had slid out of place. So it's like, well, I'll just put that back, and then it worked. Now, it's, it's really terrible, but I was like, I'm going to hack this thing. I'm going to start circuit bending it. And I actually did a little work on it last night because the main issue I found was that it has a microphone that's supposed to sit on this end where this funnel is glued right now. And it wasn't very sensitive. So if I talked into it, I really had to yell into it to get it to respond. And like, I would yell so loudly that you couldn't really hear the megaphone over me yelling into it. But a few months ago, I was digging through the e-waste at work and I found a Polycom like conference center, or not a conference center, like a conference call thing. If you've ever worked in an oh. office, things they set them in the center of the conference room table and everyone talks. And I got one of those and I tore it apart and there was like not much useful in it, except it had three little microphones and they were the same type of microphone that was used in this thing. And I was like, well, you know, like I'm sure this thing was built to be as cheap as possible and the Polycom probably had a big, like a little bit bigger budget. So maybe they used a better microphone in it. So last night I soldered in one of the Polycom microphones and I stuck a funnel on there and now it works much better than it did before. You know what that reminds me of? <laughs> it's like every time I, you tweeted this the other day, and every time you talk into it, what comes out of it to me is like you're translating it into the language of those people from Mars Attacks. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. 
It totally does, doesn't it? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's a dumb toy, but it has some little switches here, and they let you change the tone, so it doesn't have to sound like Mars Attacks. It can sound more like this, which is lower and deeper, or like this. So, oh my God. I'm going to take it out of this dumb case. I found the timing resistor on it, so I can put in a potentiometer and tweak it some more. Sweet. And uh, yeah, I'm going to rehouse it and maybe change these red LEDs for some other LEDs. And uh, I think this will be a fun little circuit bending project. So that's what I've been working on. I would just annoy the shit out of people if I had that thing. Because <laughs> that's what I do with stuff like that. <laughs> um, I found this in a thrift store a while back and I opened it up this weekend. I'm going to just partially put it back together. I'm not even sure. Hasbro made this. This little creature. I don't even know who or what it is. I got it hooked up to the bench power supply right now and the other day I just powered it up. I'm like, what the hell is this thing doing? I noticed there's a little push button. And let's see. It's gonna work. It had it did this little thing the other day where it asks you this series of questions and you're supposed to answer the questions um, to the best of your ability, I guess. And um, oh here we go. Okay. Nice. I'm going to ask you a question. Answer yes, no, or I don't know. You can also say it depends. <laughs> can this animal swim? No. And so this is where I just started That's messing with this thing. All right. <laughs> So, okay. you know, we'll just like, uh, stop there. So it keeps asking you these questions. And then, you know, of course, if you're a little kid and you're thinking of that thing, you're not thinking to mess with this thing's mind. You want to give the right answers and try to guess the animal. And so I was going off on crazy tangents. I had this thing going for five minutes on, I'm like, how far is it going to go before it finally says, you're right. You know? And it, it finally did, but I have no idea what I can do with that, but there's got to be something crazy I could do. Of course, circuit bending it and making the voice get all weird, but it's got a pretty fair amount of electronics on the board. It's got the typical black blob um, microprocessor, but then off to the side, there's a little eight pin chip and a whole bunch of supportive circuitry, lots and lots of resistors um, and a few little surface mount transistors, but mostly it's just the black blob and then this other little chip off to the side. But might be kind of fun to play with. We'll see what I can do with it. Well, hopefully one of those exposed resistors is the timing resistor, and um, that'd be super fun to circuit bend. Um, I don't know if you um, uh, subscribe to the lick and poke method, but that's my favorite method for circuit bending. Yeah, with just, just moisture across the contacts? Yeah, yeah. yeah for people it, who don't know, yeah. um, that, that's a really easy way to circuit bend things, and you just lick your finger and obviously don't do this on anything mains powered. This is like battery, <laughs> battery powered thing. Um, just lick your finger and start like while your while your toy is running and making sound, just start touching spots on the board. Usually like look for resistors and just touch. And if if you find a spot, if you find the right spot, like the moisture on your finger will conduct some of the electricity and it changes the behavior of the circuit. 
and you should be able to audibly hear a change in the way the thing behaves. And it's a really easy way to circuit bend. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna hurt yourself if it's just running off of like six volts, and you're not gonna hurt the circuit. Uh, at most, you'll make it reset. So if you want to get into circuit bending, that's that's really like the scientific way to do it. It's just open it up and start licking licking your finger and poking around. You could lick it with your tongue too. You don't have to poke it with your finger, but <laughs> um, but not if it's plugged into mains power. <laughs> Even if it's through your power supply and your bench. Let's let's give it. A, I'm gonna give it a try right now. Let's push this button again. Nope, nothing there. Not yet. But you know, who knows? Maybe a little tissue paper and uh, wet tissue paper where I can get into the little spots I can't get with my finger. But I have had that happen by accident on on things too, working on them. Yeah. So what about you, Roger? What are you working on? I, I can see from your blog, um, which for people out there, if you're interested in Roger's blog, it's newscrewdriver.com. I can see from your blog, you've been busy with a lot of software stuff lately. So what have you been working on? Well, um, one of the ambitions for Soppy is not just the mechanical uh, wonder of rocker bogey, but I also wanted to explore autonomous robots. And it's the kind of thing that I keep pushing off later and later every time I get into an interesting uh, hardware project. So this past week was the time of actually sitting down and getting started uh, on openai.com. Yeah, the OpenAI uh, organization has a um, built up basically infrastructure so people who want to learn about machine intelligence and, and reinforcement learning, they don't have to all start from scratch and reinvent the wheel. So I am gladly, uh, taking the tools they've got and then getting started in reinforcement learning and hoping that is the very first step towards a, a SAPI that could run around and uh, on its own and uh, maybe even be a, a, what was the thing you guys mentioned the other week, a, a Roomba that can handle rough terrain? Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's the kind of intelligence I want to work towards a robot that does not require a flat, clean surface to navigate, um, which is what most of robotics research is doing. So they go, this, this is something that I might be able to find something interesting to do. So software, I, I, I don't have a piece of hardware to show, I'm sorry. <laughs> so this is just software adventures. Oh, that's cool. That, that would be really neat because, of course, that's where I want to go with, you know, whenever I can get to it, the SAPI I build, uh, because I've made... I don't know, a dozen different robots that were autonomous, set in quotes in the air with my fingers, um, which were mostly just with some sensors that kept it away from things. That was the main drive of the thing. It drives around, it explores, and it stays away from bumping into objects, either with a ping sensor or with just physical touch sensors. And it's fun to play with the parameters on how close it gets to things before it backs up because then it gets more immersed into exploring the environment. If you set the parameters to stop and back up or turn when it's really, really close to things, it gets itself into trouble a lot more. <laughs> and, and it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch how it works, you know. And um, I had some at Maker Faire, the first one I went to in 2010. It was fun watching kids play with it. And I, you probably had that. Uh, at Maker Faire with with Soppy, you know, the kids are get really interactive. They're not afraid to interact with a robot, and it's so much fun to watch them. They're totally uninhibited, you know. They just want to mess with it and see how it reacts back. 
And so that would be a lot of fun to do um, with something like that. But I would like to make something like that where you could just set it loose and, and just observe what it does. Just take it out in some rough terrain out in the woods, you know, in a rocky area and just see how well it does. Yeah. Uh, and at Maker Fair, what was fun with Soppy is that right now Soppy's remote control is a web-based application I have running on my phone. And so what happens is when I'm driving Soppy around, sometimes the kids see Soppy, they run up to Soppy and they wanted to test to see if uh, Soppy will respond to them because on the assumption that Soppy is uh, autonomous and responsive to them. Uh, uh, and if they don't notice me, sometimes I just decide to go in and, and play with them too, uh, acting like as if Soppy is responding to them. And the beautiful thing with uh, UI on the phone is that the kids are really good at spotting remote controls, right? With the two sticks holding by somebody nearby, they'll look around. But if they just see a guy on his phone, I am invisible. They don't see me. <laughs> That's great. It must have been fun. It was. It is having little kids run around, and and uh, I wish I've done a lot of the things that Emily suggested I do. Not just the odometer, but also a voice box that can talk back when the kids say hello. And and the arm that can wave back when they say uh, when they wave. So these these are all on the to do list, and maybe a future uh, public outing we will have that. Yeah. Did you ever see Gerald the giraffe? He was at Maker Fair for years. Uh, he wasn't there this year. It's a big. It was modeled after a smaller walking robot that looked like a giraffe. Kind of looked like it was made out of an erector set or something. And they made a full scale huge one. And uh, it was very interactive. It would um, it was remote controlled, but it would put its head down, and it had these little touch sensors that I think were piezoelectric wafers. And the kids would pet the giraffe's nose, and when they would pet the nose, the giraffe would say, "Ah, that's nice." <laughs> It was really neat watching the kids interact with it because they would all run up and they're like, pet its nose, pet its nose. And then, you know, it would say something back and it would bow its head down. It was really fun to watch that thing. I was surprised it wasn't there this year because it's, it keeps getting improved all the time. If you Google it, you'll find pictures of it. Gerald the giraffe. Okay. I'm going to check that out. It was, it was uh, big enough to people, people to ride on, right? Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. Pretty big. I saw this last year, but uh, I did not see its interactivity. I was seeing it basically as a, as a golf cart roaming around. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, um, that's a really fun thing about kids is that, you know, most adults, they're not, they're not scared of robots, but they're also not like, they're not, they don't mess with robots. Like most adults see a robot and they'll kind of like smile and they'll kind of look at it and they'll give it wide berth. But like kids just run right in there and like it's a robot and they're grabbing it, which isn't always great for Soppy, but they're like <laughs> grabbing it and they're shaking it and they're waving at it and they're getting in its face. And like kids just see a robot and they're like, this thing, I'm going to get in this thing's business. I'm going to make this thing's business, my business. And we're going to have a good time. And that's just so much fun. Like, I don't know how, like, I wonder if like in the future when robots are just more commonplace, if they are more commonplace, like how people are going to behave around robots just in general, like how are we going to behave when robots are commonplace in our lives? That, that, that's something that I wonder when I see kids playing with them because the kids don't have any preconceived notions of like, Oh, well, robots are dumb. Robots like don't think anything like, but when we get, when we get robots that are smarter, like 
robots that can react to you and predict your behavior and react to you. Like, how, how's that going to play out? I, I wonder. Steven Spielberg's AI. You seen that movie? I have not seen that movie. You, there, you, there, your answer is in that movie. Go watch that movie. <laughs> if the, the, we will be idiot humans, and um, the kids who are just want to get in the the robot shit, they're going to do that, and they're going to be bullies to the robot. <laughs> it's not just going to be like let's interact with it. They're going to be like let's really mess with it because if it gets yeah. intelligent enough, where it can really interact they're going to push back even harder. Some, not all kids. I mean, it's just like the way kids are, right? They, they, there's the ones that always want to, you know, be the, the little idiot bullies that, you know, beat up on other kids. Well, that's also, I think going to happen with robots. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys remember when there was that robot? I don't, I don't know who sent it around the world. It was this like robot that was traveling the world and like very loosely a robot. Like it was basically just like, a thing in the shape of a human and I think it had some sort of processor in it and a camera. Anyhow, they sent it around the world and like people were supposed to take selfies with it everywhere it went. And it like made it all over the place. Like it went to other countries and everything and then ended up in Philadelphia and people just trashed it. They like broke it and tore it to bits and threw it <laughs> dead in the alleyway in Philadelphia. There you go. <laughs> Wonderful human beings interacting yeah. with robots. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> I, we definitely got that spectrum at Maker Fair for Soppy. They're the kids that will run right up and they will stop short and try to interact with Soppy. These are the most rewarding ones. There are those that see Soppy getting well, within six feet. And I, when I, I turn Soppy to face them, they get scared and run away. <laughs> and then you know, there are the kids that came up and started kicking Safi. And I don't know how far they would have gone because I, I just reached out and touched their shoulder and said, please don't do that. Um, I don't know what they were hoping to accomplish or what they were motivated by when, when they just immediately inflict physical abuse. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's the kind of thing where I I'm curious, yet I do not wish to explore with my own robots. <laughs> that's going to come up. That's, that's going to be reality. And I'm, I'm just as curious as Emily as to what, how that's going to be. Are they going to be the bullies that are masters over the robot overlords and the rest of us are just sheep? I don't know. Yeah. Humans are silly. They, they want to do that. They wanna, you know, there's a certain, we want to feel like we're in control. And so that manifests in a lot of different ways. True. true. Well, very popular for kids to run up in front of Soppy and block his way. Mm -hmm. And as I, I turn Soppy to get around them and they'll move to stay in front of Soppy. Uh, I see that as exploratory, uh, uh, fairly harmless. Uh, it, it's, it is annoying when I'm trying to drive Soppy to attend your <laughs> <laughs> That held me up for a good five minutes while a kid was like running around in circles making sure Soppy can't move. <laughs> Yeah, there, there were occasions at Maker Fair when I would be like, all right, Roger, I'm going to go to this thing. I'll see you when you get there in like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to stop you. <laughs> uh, we got maybe five, six minutes left here. One, um, Emily and I touch on, uh, you know, you've, you've heard we, we mentioned fails, fails of the week or just, you know, and what we learned from them. Um, I guess maybe... I would ask you, you know, if there's one that stands out in uh, all the time you've been hacking, playing around, writing software, et cetera, 
of something that was a fail that was maybe like an epic fail, but you learned a valuable lesson from it? Um, I think uh, uh, that the story I like to bring up here was triggered by one of recent uh, tweets from Emily about, uh, oh, wow, this didn't work. I'm an idiot. Wait, wait, no, wait, I'm actually brilliant. And then, wait, no, I'm, I'm actually an idiot. <laughs> uh, um, I had, uh, annoyingly recently, I was cutting something with um, my X-Acto blade. And as I was tracing this material, it was, it was thick. So... I had problem cutting all the way through with the exacto blade. And then I was like, all right, so let me solve, try to problem solve. I can apply more force or I can parallelize the problem. All right, what if I set it up so I can use a second exacto blade that applies force from the opposite direction? Wow. Now I can cut the top and the bottom. All right, so, but then it becomes unwieldy to use. How do I coordinate their position? I know, how about I put the two blades together on a hinge? And then 30 seconds after that, I said, you know, I'll just go get a pair of scissors because I just invented scissors. <laughs> That's great. Well, see, your problem solved. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of awesome, honestly. Like you, you independently invented scissors. Like that's probably where scissors came from, right? Like someone a long time ago was cutting something on the knife. And they're like, man, if I could just cut this on both sides, this would be so much better. And then like... <laughs> Scissors were born. There you go. <laughs> That's where they came from. Well, Roger, this has been fun. We really loved having you on the show, and um, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. I wish I would have had more time at Maker Fair, but I guess we made up for a little bit of that right here. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Roger. This was great. I'm I, I'm glad you came on, and hopefully, we can have you on again in the future. This was this was really good. So yeah. where, can, where can people follow you uh, and the stuff you do? Like um, you've got the website and Twitter. <laughs> mention, mention what your uh, handle is on, on Twitter and where they can check out your blog. All right, the, the blog is newscrewdriver.com. This is a Doctor Who reference. Uh, there was an episode when he's like, all right, boy, you can go talk to that girl or you can stay in your workshop and invent the new kind of screwdriver. And uh <laughs> And that, that is where I have most of my projects and writings. I do tweet uh, uh, random things at regulus, which is Roger backwards uh, appended with L-A-S, R-E-G-O-R-L-A-S. And those are the uh, two ways that I have stuff online today. Yeah. And, Great. And, and Soppy also has a website, right? What, what That's right. That, um, that there was enough uh, interest in Soppy that Soppy has its own website. <laughs> homepage on Hackaday.io and I bought the domain of sapi.com, S-A-W-P-P-Y.com, uh, so to point people to it. And also Sapi uh, on Emily's Encouragement has its own Twitter account, at Sapi Rover. Perfect. And that's S-A-W-P-P-Y, right? Uh, S-A-W-P-P-Y-R-O-V-E-R, yeah, the whole thing. Great. Right. And I've got, of course, Hackaweek TV on YouTube, um, hackaweek.com, and I am at MakerDino. No, that was my old handle. I am at Hackaweek now on Twitter. And I am Emily's Electric Oddities on YouTube, and on Twitter, I am MLE, the letters MLE underscore online. Yeah. So, well, there you go. Follow us, check us out. We're nerds. <laughs> I'm proud of it. You bet. Nerds rule.
All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap. This has okay. been fun. Wow. Um, Should we yeah. leave Roger with the with the 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 talk out? The keep on hacking. So. Yeah, you know my my thing is always keep on hacking. It's hacking yeah. podcast. So all you gotta do is say keep on hacking, and we're out of here. All right, everyone. Until next time, keep on hacking. Bye.